I'm so grateful to be here for the privilege of uh, speaking with you this morning. I bring you greetings from a part of your family, God's family, that you've probably never met. And for many people, are, they're very surprised to even know there is part of God's family in the city where my wife, Debbie, and I live. Debbie is the beautiful woman on the back row back there. She's the brains of the operation. And um, I freely admit I married way over my head. Uh, we live in Las Vegas. And uh, so I'm sure you can tell that when, when I tell people that we live in Las Vegas, most of the time they go, oh. Especially when I tell them, well, I'm a pastor and a pastoral counselor. And they go, Ugh. Because most people view Las Vegas as Sin City, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that term for Las Vegas, but I'm guessing you have. I love what Paul wrote. He said, where sin abounds, their grace abounds even more. And so I think of it as a grace city, not sin city. I'm not going to spend any more time telling you the stories of miraculous life transformation that we get have been able to witness uh, in our, our ministry and life there. Because I, the reason I don't want to do that is because I don't want to burn up my time to be able to share with you what I want to share. And that starts in the book of Deuteronomy in the Older Testament. And uh, I think most Christians today view the Old Testament as, oh, that book, that part of the Bible. But not many of us spend much time in the Old Testament. And I'm okay with that, I guess, except there's such wisdom in, in the Old Testament. And so we're going to start there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, which you'll see on the, the screen. W- would you stand with me and let's read out loud, honoring God's word in this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Amen. You may be seated. This, I'm told by other Old Testament scholars, is what would today be called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God The Lord is one, and in the Hebrew text, the Lord is one God. Well, yeah, but you have to remember the context of when when this was written, when Moses spoke these words inspired by God, Israel had just come out of, they 
been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, but they had for many generations, for 400 years, been slaves in Egypt where there were many gods. And so the Lord our God, the Lord is one God, not many. Okay, well, Mark records this there was an encounter with Jesus, and, and some people believe that a, the a teacher of the law came to Jesus with a trick question, because his question was, what is the greatest command of all? I'm not so sure that was a trick question, and I don't think, I'm not going to doubt that teacher of the law's motive. Jesus uh, didn't respond in a defensive way. Mark, Matthew, and Luke record this. John does not. In Mark chapter 12, verses 19 through 31, this is what Jesus said. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That would have been, that would have been so familiar to the teacher of the law. He would have said, I said that this morning. My family said that together. It was that kind of Not quite a mantra, but uh, this was in their lives and their lifestyle. And then he goes on in verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he adds, and the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. All right, a, a couple of quick things here. First of all, did you notice the difference between what, how Jesus spoke this and how it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 6? It's a subtle difference. But Jesus adds the mind. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And we're going to look at that in depth. And he said the second command, it, it is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Later in Jesus' life, what we have recorded in John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, here is the greatest command of all. Love one another as I have loved you. And so, God, through Jesus, he brings it down to this one idea, love. Uh, The second thing about this is that Jesus didn't just make it up on the fly that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. It comes out of uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. It was all part of the Jewish, the Hebrew schema, the, the... The format for Hebrew life. Okay, so let's unpack what Moses wrote and said and what Jesus said. They both start with, love the Lord your God. I I grew up in a religious community where the point of your life as a Christian was to obey. And I mean... (laughs) I'm a preacher's kid, so it was even worse 
than just being a member of the congregation. It was all, we lived in a glass house. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, everybody knew our business. Everybody knew what we did, what we said, often misquoting us and misrepresenting us. But the point was, religiously, obey. Try harder. Um, I think it's kind of interesting. G, uh, Moses goes on in, in um, Deuteronomy 6 and expands on love the Lord your God, but he begins there. And Jesus, did you notice that Jesus didn't hearken back to any of the, uh, none of the Ten Commandments? He didn't talk about any of the laws in um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He, he, there's at least 360 separate laws that are enumerated in those books, and Jesus didn't hearken back to them. He just simply said, love the Lord your God. And Moses says these commands are to be on your hearts, and these are, those were the laws, yeah, but Jesus didn't point to any of those. In fact, he didn't even point back to the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. I think there's a reason for this. And uh, I have a big burn in my heart uh, about the reason for this. Here's why I think, and I, don't, I can't assume that I know why Jesus did anything, but I, I see a reason for why Jesus didn't go into the laws and commands, but he just said, love the Lord your God, is because if you get loving God and obeying him turned around, you'll be in all kinds of trouble. Do you understand what I'm saying? That if I am, am trying to love God, I will obey. But if I'm trying really hard to just obey God, have you ever known anybody that, I mean, they were working really hard to obey God, but you didn't see much love in their lives? We, I had a guy like that, an old guy in the church where my dad preached when I was in my teenage years. I mean, I, I never saw the guy smile. Never saw him do an act of love. But oh boy, was he trying hard to obey God. If you get loving and obeying out of order, nothing in your life is going to work well. Your relationships won't work. In your circle of uh, family, you're, that's not going to work, or at least not well, if you get loving and obeying out of order, out of sequence. Your other friendships, your work, the, the world around you, it won't work. It just won't. Okay. Because... If you just are trying hard as you know how to and then try harder to obey, you miss God's design. His design is that you love and out of that love comes obedience. And I could go for weeks on that anyway. If obeying is your point, if that's your main primary interest, 
what, what are you going to do when you didn't obey perfectly? What are you going to do when you sin? Well, in the Old Testament, the Jews were given by God a system of sacrifice that addressed the problem of sin. When I sin, I can make this sacrifice. And that atoned. That, made, that was the payment for my sin. And it's interesting to me, repentance is somewhat assumed in the Old Testament but not always stated. I mean, it was more about make the sacrifice, make the offering, the sin offering. It was prescribed in a very specific way. We don't have that, do we? Okay, now, this is an interactive moment where if if you get what I'm saying, you will do this. And if you don't get it, just don't do anything, and I'll know. And if you're asleep, it's A-OK. Last night was hard for all of us. Um. We don't have that. We don't need it, but we don't have it. And you know the reason we don't need it is because the final sacrifice was made at Calvary. When Jesus said, it is finished, I'm told, I don't know Greek. Uh, my youngest daughter's a Greek scholar. I don't know Greek at all. I, well, I know a little Greek. His name is Sai. But anyway... Okay, keep up now. You're going to have to kind of keep up. Um, are you as nervous as I am? Because I'm like, man, I feel like a piano in a church of Christ. Um, okay. For us, Jesus was our full and final sacrifice for all sin of all time. If my sole objective is to obey, and I don't, and then what do I do? Well, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, that's good. But has anybody in the room ever sinned and, 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 and done the 1 John you know, thing, and thought, am I, I mean, are we good? Am I contrite enough? Have I confessed enough? Have I done enough? That's a horrible way to live. Only the grace of God makes it possible for us to live in a reality that says, I I, because of what Christ has done, not because of what I have done. Okay. When you, when you put obey ahead of love, you, you wind up getting stuck in an ugly loop. Did I do enough? Have I forgotten something I need to get forgiven for? Have, how much have I, how much, am I good with you, God? Am I, I'll, I'll try harder. I'll work harder. I'll, I'll be perfect. How's that working for you? It doesn't work. And then one of the ugliest things about that loop is, this loop of just obeying, is that I'm trying to do something God never designed me to do. He never had it in my mind that I would obey perfectly. And I could spend a long time 
you know, unpacking that idea, but I want you to reflect on Adam and Eve. God could have made it so that they would obey, just would obey. I think one of his great gifts to us is that he didn't make us that way. He made us so that we could choose to obey or not. The theological term for that is free will. What a gift. And I also think this. Lord, you trust me way more than my life warrants. Okay. There, when I am, am trying to obey perfectly... One of the things that often will come from that is a sense of perfectionism. I consider myself a recovering perfectionist. I'm trying hard not to be a perfectionist. uh, Anyway, I'm making a little progress. One of the problems with perfectionism, aside from what it does to you as a person, is what it does to the people around you. I want you to think of any time you have worked with or been around, especially if you have worked for a perfectionist, their perfectionist expectations are not only about themselves. Much as they want to say, well, I know I'm a perfectionist and I'm dealing with it, but I don't have those expectations for you. Yes, you do. Right? We can destroy relationships with those kinds of unrealistic expectations of perfectionism. God does not intend for us to be perfect. Now, the Bible talks about perfect in a couple of different ways. Perfect in the sense that there is this absolute perfection where there is no flaw, there is nothing lacking, where it is objectively absolutely perfect, right? And that... I think that's how most people think of it. But there's this other aspect of perfect in the sense of full, complete. And the second sense is much more often referred to, especially in the New Testament, as the, what God is, is intending in our lives. Okay, when I am a, a perfectionist, I become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And guess what? When I do that, people will avoid me. Nobody's going to ask me to their house for tea or, or even a step up for coffee. Nobody's going to ask me to travel with them and nobody's going to ask me to... <laughs> well, you, you get the picture. Loving God is not the outcome of obeying Him. Obeying him is the result of loving him. You cannot push your perfectionism and your judgmentalism farther down the trail and get closer to God. Okay. Now, I know it sounds like, or seems like I've probably been trying to squeeze blood out of a turnip on this, but I absolutely believe if we don't get that right, nothing else really matters. I think it's what Jesus said. The greatest command, love the Lord your God. In other words, whatever else you do, if you don't do this, 
you've missed, right? Okay. I love what Jesus said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The heart in Jesus' day was symbolic of the seat of your emotions and especially your affections. Today in America, and I can't speak to Prague or wherever else you live, which is one of the things we love about coming here is we just get a tour of the world when we do because this truly is an international gathering. But anyway, in, in the U.S., most of, of everything is, is a heart thing, but n- only in terms of feelings. When, when, when the ancients talked about the heart, when Jesus talked about the heart, when Moses referred to the heart, he was talking about feelings, but probably not in the way we are. My generation and younger, when we talk about the heart, we talk about our feelings. And they are, for many people, even Christians that I've encountered, their feelings are their only compass in life. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. If it feels right, it must be right. No, it doesn't work that way, does it? But he, here's the other thing. God didn't say, you, you know what, that feeling stuff, that's not important. Get that out of your mind. He says, where does he start? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. One of the things about worship music and, and true worship is that it, is, it involves your heart. It's not strictly or purely a matter of the heart, but I don't I God intends for my heart, my emotions to be harmonized and attenuated toward him. And then he says, the soul. That's the center of my spiritual being. It's my my essence. It's the part of me that's going to live on for eternity. This is the me that will be in heaven. I'm going to get a new body, and at my age, I'm looking forward to that. Um, (laughs) You don't have to get very old to realize it's going to be a lot better when I get that new body thing going. But, But my soul, the essence of me, God intends for... How do you do? love the Lord your God with all your heart? I get that, my affections. My soul, my this essence of me, uh, I'm still wrestling that to the ground. I don't have that totally figured out, but I do know this. My walk and relationship to God through Christ is a spiritual journey. It's not an event. It, it is a process of my growth in Him and my walk with Him and my development toward maturity. And it involves my soul. It's it's not just my emotions, also my soul. And then he says, with all your mind. This is the one that Jesus adds. With all your mind. That's my intellect. Uh, I have done some interesting reading about 
the brain and neurology, and I'm incredibly intrigued by it, but I get in way over my head very quickly because of the science. Your brain and your mind are not the same. We're not talking about when Jesus says, with all your mind, he's not talking about your brain. Well, yes, he is. Well, no, he's not. Do you see the problem? But the mind, that's, <laughs> that's my intellect. That's my intelligence. And if you want to put it in a brain framework, it's the prefrontal cortex that's your executive command center. That's your decision maker. When my mind, when I'm loving God with all my mind, I'm figuring out how do I structure my life and organize my decisions around his design so that my decisions would conform to God's design for whatever that moment a decision is calling for. And then he says, with all your strength, that's your body. I don't think Christians talk very much about that. I think we talk a lot about heart, soul, and mind. But when you get down to the body, not so much. And I think I know why. Mike is an exception. But many of the preachers that I know, they're 30 pounds overweight. They're not going to talk about physical fitness. Most of the preachers I know, they haven't been to the gym, and they've never been to the gym. <laughs> they, they don't exercise, and they don't sleep appropriately. They don't... Why would I talk about that? Because that's part of who you are. If you wanted to sum up who is Steve, I could say these four things. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't believe that leaves anything of me out. That's all there is of me. You can say it with other terms, and you can expand on these four parts, but this is the sum of who I am and who you are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the goal for my life is to express my love for God through all four of these parts of myself. When I'm expressing my love for God from my whole self, or as much of me as I'm capable of doing that with, I will obey his commands. So in this sense, my obedience is simply an expression, an outcome of my love for him. Okay, I've jumped up and down on that pretty hard and pretty long. You get the point. Love the Lord your God. Does that mean obedience doesn't matter? No, that is not what it means. But what it does mean is my motive for obedience is not to obtain God's favor. My motive for obedience is not so that then God will become obligated to love me. My motive for obeying is because he loves me. His grace. If if I had to say, if somebody would say, okay, you only get one theological tenet, what would that be? I think it would not be whether we sing out of hymnals or what version... I know the King James Version is what Paul used to preach from, but I don't think that's what I'm going to... 
It would be grace. Grace. Hmm. All right, let's go back to Deuteronomy 6 for just a minute. Moses says, impress them on your children. I think that's a very interesting choice of words. In in ancient times, a, a, a ruler, governor, king, when they wrote some official document, it would be sealed with wax, and there would be usually a signet ring that smashed into that, and that's how you knew it was official, to impress them. Think about this. I, I know all of you are not parents, but if you are a parent, you already know that you are making an impression on your kids. And one of the reasons you know this is because your parents made an impression on you. Has this ever happened if you're a parent? You say something and go, oh my gosh, that was my dad. And it gets worse. I remember telling myself I would never say that. (laughs) Why? Why does that happen? Because your dad impressed upon you. Now, some impressions are made intentionally. Others, not so much. You, this, part of this is, and this is for whether you are a parent or, or not, this is about at least role models. I know a lot of people would like to say, I'm not a role model. Don't, don't take me as a role model. Well, you're way too late with that because you don't get a choice as to whether or not you're going to be a role model. All you get is the choice of whether you'll be a good or a bad one. You are a role model. Younger people, kids are looking up to you. And one of the great things, it's, it's been talked about this morning already, but one of the great things about being a part of a, a vibrant, vital, living family of God is that I, we have three grown daughters now and four grandkids. Smartest kids on the planet, but that's beside the point. We had the privilege of raising our three daughters around people who made great impressions on them. We would not have been able to do this if we hadn't been part of a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they, thank God, they all got to grow up. That's one of the great privileges and responsibilities of the church. You know, you talked about praying for the next generation. Don't stop. Do not stop and realize that in addition to your prayers, you are, not just you can. You are making an impression. What are some of the things that were left as an imprint on you? Don't think about that very much, but think about that. Maybe this afternoon, if you don't, slump into a Sunday afternoon coma, like some of us will. But maybe sometime soon, you can spend some time and reflect on who were the impression makers in my life? Might not have been. I have friends uh, and clients whose parents, the impression they made on them was so horrible and so abusive 
they would never want to reproduce that. And yet some of them are, because that's just the nature of the impression. But my, my friends who follow Jesus, who, who had a, a horrible uh, family life and, and uh, nuclear family, there were other people who made this divine impression on their life. Reflect on them. Thank God for them. Um, okay. Uh, I once heard somebody say that kids rarely remember what you say, but they rarely forget what they see. You are making an impression. Take it seriously. In other words, what I do almost always trumps what I say. Okay. And then he says, um, talk about them, the commands, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. That's pretty much all the points in an ancient day, right? Talk about it when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. We have to live our values in front of, if you are a parent, you are living your values out in front of your kids. And these, unfortunately, are not always our espoused values. You know, there's a, there, everyone has two sets of values. We have our espoused values. These are the things that I tell you are important to me. And then we have our practiced values. These are the, this is the way I live. And they don't always work in harmony. So, okay. You... There are times when you do have to talk about those values. One of the great things about being a, a my grandkids call me Papa. One of the great things is I, I just get these cool snatches of time where I can talk about my values. Our 18-year-old grandson graduated from high school uh, last month, and I've had, oh, dozens of conversation with just he, he and I, and most recently when he takes me out for a ride in his souped-up pickup truck, and I get to talk about what matters to me. I, I man, that's a gift I, from God. I love being able to do that. He needs to see my life, and thankfully I'm around him enough that he does get to see my life as well as hear my words. I don't know whether he actually said it, but I have read a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis, where he says, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. I think that might be a good theme for every follower of Jesus, adult follower of Jesus to take on, especially if you're a parent. But if you're not a parent, I want to emphasize this. If you're a single person, don't think for a minute that you don't have a venue for making an impression. You are. Not you can. You are. Okay. And, and he talks about times of day. <clears throat> Talk about it when you sit at home. I, I'm, I'm still a little unclear on how the school year works all over the world, but I think you're coming up to a period of time, if you're a parent, where your kids are going to be home more than normal, right? 
and they're going to be sitting around getting in your way and uh, whining because they're bored and hungry and there's nothing on TV. Okay, don't, don't see that as a, a shackle. It's an opportunity. Um, talk about your values. Talk about it. Uh, and then he says, when you walk along the road. Uh, you know, uh, in Prague, people walk along the road a lot more than they do in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is... I mean, it's all very spread out, and uh, it, plus it gets really hot in Las Vegas. So you don't want to spend a whole lot of time walking on the road. First of all, you're going to get run over, and secondly, <clears throat> you'll melt. So, but I think this has to do with, okay, when you're going someplace, take your kids if you can. Um, um, and then he says... When you lie down and when you get up, those are the two most important times in a child's day. And they represent two precious opportunities for all parents. What you say to them and how you say it and how you structure when they get up sets them up for their day. Okay? It's... It's tempting to just go through your list of what they didn't get done and what you don't want to see happen today. And I want to just suggest that's not very effective. Set them up to to be able to offer their best at the beginning of the day. I think one of the best ways to do that is with physical affection and prayers of blessing over them. Okay. And then when you, get up, when you get up, and then when you lie down, those are the two bookends of all our days, but especially for a kid. What you do in the bedtime routine is way more important than finally getting them under the covers and out of your hair. End the day. How, be intentional. I guess the point of what Moses was saying is be intentional. Have a plan. So if you're a parent, then my question is, do you have a plan? And I'm not going to say, well, I got the best plan, and I'll just tell you this is the only way for a godly parent to raise their kids. That's stupid. That's not how it works. And I'll be honest with you and say, I've read books and heard people say, well, this is the only way God gave us for good. I'm going, come on. I have the good sense to not stand up and boo them, but on the inside, oh, I'm booing. There are four, Moses cites four times where you get snatches of opportunity. Seize them, leverage them intentionally. Because these are moments when you can impress your kids. If you don't have kids, again, this is is me, not Scripture, but I'm going to say you are going to probably have to go out of your way to be involved in a kid's life. Go out of your way. Even to the degree of, are you going somewhere? Take a 
kid. Right? Okay. I'll get off the high horse. Make a plan. And then Moses goes on. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Of course, the Jews did this literally. They were called phylacteries. Um, you, I think, are rarely going to see a modern Jew wearing phylacteries, but you might. We got the chance to go to Jerusalem a couple of years ago, and um, down by the Wailing Wall, by the, you know what I'm talking about, in the Temple Wall. Man, men, didn't see any on women, but men had phylacteries on. They had this headband with a leather box in the middle, and in that leather box, in tiny, tiny Hebrew script were at least the Ten Commandments. They had phylacteries which were like a, a box on their wrists and that they held the law as well. So why would... Okay, do you think Moses had in mind jewelry and accessorization when he said, bind them, tie them as symbols? on your hands and bind them on your forehead? I don't think so. I think this was a symbolic thing. When you think about, okay, tie them as symbols on your hands, that's what I do. I mean, these are my doing tools. So God's word, his design, is I want it to, my doing with my hands to express his design. Okay, and bind them on my forehead. Your forehead is the closest piece of your body to your executive command center, to your prefrontal cortex. Well, yeah, your decision maker. I want God's design. Well, I don't wear phylacteries, and you don't either. But boy, I do wish I could more often and more consistently see them, feel them, know them to be what guides my doing and my thinking. And then he says, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Now, the Jews again took this literally and they created what's called a mezuzah. You probably have, maybe you have seen these. Um, they are just a, a um, a metal, usually, symbol that gets nailed to the entryway of a Jewish home. And a lot of Jews, especially very much practicing Jews, will, will touch it or tap it or kiss it. What in the world is that about? It, well, it can become just purely a habit, but it also is a moment. It's a thing to call us back to God's design that I would love him, and out of that love, I would obey him. It comes down to this. What Moses was saying, I think, the bottom line, to the Hebrews and to us is, make the main thing the main thing, and keep it there. Our world is so full of distractions. Your life is so full of distractions. It is very, very challenging to keep the main thing the main thing. So what's the main thing? Obeying? 
Okay, now, again, let's do this interactive thing where you can... The answer to that is... No! no. What's, what's the main thing? Love. Love the Lord your God. So, what are we going to do with this today? I want to just make a couple of suggestions. And I'll start with parents. I want to recommend, I want to suggest to you that you leverage the summer into a Deuteronomy 6 summer. Where with this extra time that you have with your kids, you you will become more intentional than maybe ever before about spending time with them. I, I... I know a lot of families in, in the states that I work with, their, their life and schedule gets so complicated and so full of activities in the summer, they almost need to just cut it back so that they can have the, these kinds of times. But w- look for opportunities. You have to be flexible and creative, but look for opportunities. I mean, times that we're, okay, a lot of people are going to travel, Leverage the travel time. Some people are going to go having unique experiences that are not possible during the school year. Leverage that for campfires and cookouts and game nights and just be creative. There's hundreds of things. I once Googled uh, creative and cheap things to do with your family on Google. I got like a 255 billion hits. There's more things you can do for free with your family in Prague than probably anybody imagined. What if, as a family, you could sit at the table for one meal, everybody in the family, every day? It's probably not a big deal to you because you're such a perfect Christian, but for a lot of us, that takes some planning and I have to let my kids know we will be at the dinner table. I have a friend, this is back in the day, uh, they did that at supper religiously, everybody at the table. They had three daughters as well. And one time I, I called them during the dinner hour and got, this is how long ago it was, I got their answering machine. And it said, hello, this is rugby residence. We're probably having dinner together We'll call you back when we're done. And I thought, bully for them. That's, you know, I'm just saying. Um, What if, as a family, one night a week, you were, through the week and, and through the summer, you're looking for ways to serve somebody. And what if one night a week or one afternoon a week, whatever your work schedule permits, you did something for somebody as a family. And maybe there's somebody in your building who uh, doesn't, I mean, they're old and, and they have trouble getting out. Maybe you could run errands for them. Maybe you could bring groceries. There's all kinds of stuff. Um, in the States, uh, my big thing is often... You've got 12 Sundays before your kids have to go back to school. Be in church for 10 of them. There's a lot of things that get in the way of church, 
Have you noticed? Unless you're a preacher and then church gets in the way of church mostly. Okay. Can you make a special family memory? Be intentional. Um, okay. Now, if you're not a parent, if you don't have kids, you will, in order to have young people to make an impression on, you're going to have to look, and you, you have to be even more intentional, I think, than parents. But you can do that. I also think, as a single person, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is a great time to do a self-evaluation. Be observational, not judgmental. Don't punish yourself for what you see, but be instructed by it. How am I doing with my heart? How am I doing with my soul? How am I doing with my mind? And how am I doing with my body? All I want to be able to do is express my devotion to God in love. And that will be that will create the outcome of living my life by his design. Well, that's really all I got. I, I just want to challenge every single one of us. Walking with Jesus, our lives today, because of grace and because of the sacrifice of Christ, are so much better than when Moses was alive. And yet the principle, the principle still remains, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Heavenly Father, we want this. We want our lives to be a reflection of our love, our devotion, our affection for you, you loved us first. We're imperfect and flawed. And you trust us with your image? Thank you. That your Holy Spirit, your very presence in our lives, in our hearts, he empowers us by your grace to love you with all our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.